0: Let's take our Bibles, and let's look at uh, Revelation chapter 20, and we'll begin reading at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Our Heavenly Father, we ask for you to use the message today in our hearts and stir us on to the service that we've enlisted to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. The pit is prepared, the fire is made ready, the furnace is now hot, ready to receive them. The flames do now rage and glow, the glittering sword is wet and held over them. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. Now, these are the words of the preacher Jonathan Edwards when he preached his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Have you heard of that one? Of course you have. Now, he was a warrior for the gospel, and he went after it. He fasted, and he prayed, and then he preached, and God used him because he was focused on that task. He was a warrior for God. And in this generation, God used him. And watch, what a wonderful way to snatch souls from burning in hell by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the salvation that comes through faith in Christ. In my devotions this morning, I was reading about uh, the book of Numbers and what's in the book of Numbers but a bunch of numbers, right? But anyway, in the book of Numbers, it talks about how by their generations, they were numbered, and after their families, and by the house of their fathers, and then it said according to their names, and there were soldiers that would fight for the, uh, for the kingdom of God, for the, for the people of God, and there were 603,550 of them, as a matter of fact. Now, they were numbered in their generations, they were numbered by their name, even counted individually. 605,000 plus soldiers. And then their generation fought the work of God the, the, for, the, for the people of God and did the work of God. And then the next generation came up and they did it. And then the next generation. And so there were a thousand, a thousand years of warriors in that work. Now, today... We are our generation, and we are doing the work of God in our generation. And you guys are the warriors that are enlisted in the work of God. Now, the Bible says that God told Paul to tell uh, Timothy to stir up the gift that was in him. Now, stir it up means uh, stir it up. It needs to be stirred. It's gotten maybe complacent, and you've got to stir it up. And you got to keep that thing um, um, alive. And you got to keep that fire. And there's nothing that seems to stir up my fire more than thinking about the souls that God has entrusted to us to reach in our generation. And so we've got to stir it up, and nothing stirs it up like understanding the seriousness of what we're doing. And so I'm going to preach on this this morning to a, a generation of soldiers that are to be stirred up, to keep at the mission of what we're doing. I'm going to preach on, again, the subject of hell. And there are many ways that we could look at it, but um, often I'll look at it this way. I was one time looking in the Bible, and I saw that it had several different names in, about hell in the Bible. And as I was looking at each name, each name, and I understood a little bit about it, seemed to stir me with an aspect of hell that stirred me on to saying, I want to snatch souls. From the fire. I want to give the gospel with even a greater zeal. So, we're going to look at this subject tonight, this morning, the names of hell, so that it'll stir us up. Now, the first name that I want to look at is the Old Testament name, and that is the name Shield. Now, in our Bible, it is translated hell properly. Sometimes it means the grave, other times it means eternal damnation. You can usually tell by its context. For instance, Psalm 917, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. That's eternal damnation. Her house is the way to hell. That's the immoral person going down to the chambers of death. Sometimes it does mean the grave though, but often and usually eternal damnation. And it stirs us to think about it. Now it says that it is a place of fire. It is a place of um, sorrow. But there are other places that talk about hell, relating it to being fire and sorrow and crying and suffering. But an aspect of hell that we can get from this word is its location. It is likely in the center of the earth. Isaiah 5.14, their pomp and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it, go down into it. Psalm fifty-five, fifteen: 15, let them go down quick into hell. Proverbs seven, twenty-seven: going down to the chambers of death. Isaiah 14, 9, hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. And all of these verses. But one that is a good one to look at is Amos 9 and verse 2, if you want to look at it. Amos 9 and verse 2. It says, though they dig into hell, then shall mine hand take them. Though they climb up into heaven, thence shall I bring them down. Now, this says that heaven is up. And this verse says that hell is down. Now, why would that be important to consider? Now, we wonder sometimes, is hell really in the center of the earth? We know this whole earth is going to get burned up one day. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But then there'll be the lake of fire. Now, the lake of fire is different than the present hell. So if the earth gets burned up and there's a new heaven and a new earth, that wouldn't mean that the literally that the present hell is in the center of the earth. I tend to believe it is down in the center of the earth. Now, whether it's in the center of the earth or not, I am dogmatic that there is a hell and we need to be an army to try to keep people from going there. Amen. Now, Think about it, though, if it is in the center of the earth, where the Bible seems to indicate that it is, think about what is at stake for people. If you study the core of the earth, the core of the earth is extremely hot. 1,800 miles down below where you're sitting is the outer core. And that outer core, scientists say, estimates it starts at 3,200 degrees. That's hot. And then it goes down deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper to where the core center is estimated to be 13,000 degrees. Now, I didn't say 13 degrees. I said 13,000 degrees. And it is a very frightening thing to think that people are going to hell, but also if we add to it the understanding up to 13,000 degrees. There's a lot at stake for people and we need to be going after them. Now, my mother used to tell me when I was a boy, whenever I was in a graveyard, don't step on the tombstones, it's disrespectful to the dead. And so to this day, I always walk around where the grave is. But if hell is beneath us, I cannot help it and neither can you. With every step that we take, we're stepping over the souls of people that are burning and suffering and there is uh, up to 13,000 degrees that they're suffering. Think of it. Hell is such a horrible place, and uh, we need to never, ever get over that, and we need to keep that stirred up that this is why we're doing what we're doing. Now, a second word that I'm going to look at is in Isaiah chapter 30, and let's go ahead and look at verse 33, Isaiah 30 and verse 33. Verse 33. Now, this word is the word Tophet, uh, and it is um, T-O-P-H-E-T, and it is a transliteration from the original word, and so this is the way it's spelled. But it is talking, I believe, about hell, Isaiah 30, For Tophet is ordained of old. Yea, for the king it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large, the pile thereof is fire and much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. Now, it reminds us that it is deep, it has fire, it has a lot of wood, and that it has brimstone. Now, we know that it has fire and it has brimstone from other passages, but stirring up the gift, what can we get in us from this that we might not give from another name? Well, it has to do with the idea of what a it was that stirs me up. A Tophet was back in the days when the Israelites worshipped the false god, Molech, and in worshipping Molech, they did human sacrifices. A Tophet was a brass statue of Molech, and he would be seated like this, hollow, hollow hands, nose, and mouth, and eyes, all had holes in them. And so a fire would be put in the back of that Tophet, and the fires would never go out, they'd be perpetually burning, symbol of hell, but also since it was hollow, fire would shoot through the end of those arms and it would shoot out the fingers that had holes in them. It would go through that hollow neck and head and the fire would shoot out the eyes, nose, and mouth out of that head. And so then fire would go around like a ball on the brass statues, and there would be fire on the lap of the Tophet. So then an idolatrous priest would begin to beat drums and work everybody up sort of like a rock and roll concert, and then pick up the pace. And then when they would get the emotions high, a woman who had dedicated her baby to the ceremony to worship Molech would walk forward and place her baby in the fire. And then the baby would scream, scream, and then the baby would burn And then they would continue to beat the drums because they didn't want to hear the sound of the baby screaming. Horrible thing. But God chose the word tophet and it stirs up my heart. And it can stir up our heart to be in the war, to be at the war of trying to uh, work to save the people that we're trying to rescue. And that is the souls of these people going to this place. Now, what we're trying to do is look at a unique part of hell from each word, and it stirs us up. So one thing you can think about with Tophet is there definitely will be screams. Now, we've heard screams that have affected us. I remember working as an emergency medical technician. I never got to the position, but I took the training, and part of my training, they brought me to the Greenville Memorial Emergency Room, brought in a man with a knife fight, And he was stabbed in his skull, stabbed in his back. You could put two fingers in the hole in his back. He'd go right into his lung. Had to cut the side of his chest open to put a four-inch tube in to drain the chest cavity that was filling up with fluid. I didn't. The doctor did. But I was there. And so here we're doing all this, and I'm handling all of this. But then another ambulance brought in a woman with a broken hip, and she Was not going to die, so they just put her right next to us, put a curtain between us, so we could not see. She could not see all the cutting, and they figured they would go back to help her later after this life and death situation was dealt with. So anyway, here we go back. Everybody trying to help this one who's about to die, and this lady over here is screaming, "Help me! Help me! Help me!" I mean, I'm in pain, and her screams sent chills up and down my spine. Now, people in hell will be hearing these screams. And it will not be a wonderful thing. It will be adding to people's torment. Now, as you consider that it is uh, the beating of the drums associated with Tophet, add this to us. Uh, Consider this. Not only if God used the word Tophet, could it mean that there are a lot of screams, but it could be pounding sounds. Now, the earth is constantly moving, and as it's moving, then the liquid metal inside the core of the earth, I don't know, I just think in my mind, maybe, could be forming waves. And if it would form waves, then it would lap over. It could give the sound of a pound. The earth is made of rock and water. It's constantly shifting, and when rock shifts against rock, it makes sound. It travels toward the center of the earth. I know that there will be sounds that will be very eerie. Now, just imagine being in 13,000 degrees, and in that, you often, you think about the burning, but imagine hearing the pounding as well, and sounds that add to your anxiety. I was in Haiti many times, and I have often heard the voodoo drums, and after a while, they'll get in your head. But then you hear the pounding, but then on top of that, you hear screams. You hear, oh, 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 and the screams get louder as more people die and go to hell. We need to stir up the gift that is in us. And things like this just stir us up, saying we, we have to do what we're doing. Now, that's a little bit awkward, but I know, but it's also very awkward for the evangelist. But I do believe that we're not exaggerating how serious this thing is. Now, take your Bibles and let's look in our scriptures at another word, Gehenna. And that's in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. When I was a boy, uh, not when a boy, I was a college student. Um, I was going soul winning with Joe Ruff. And Joe Ruth and I were getting our bikes and we'd drive out on our bikes to downtown greenville and some of you need to do this get on a bike and go downtown shelby if you don't have a bike steal one but go downtown shelby and find the homeless find those in the ghetto and and be a man and stand up and don't be afraid and go witness to some of those drunks and try to win some of them to jesus so we would go out and when we did it we would stop sometimes and we would sing Souls for Jesus is our battle cry. Souls for Jesus will fight until we die. We never will give in while souls are lost in sin. Souls for Jesus is our battle cry. We were stirring up. And that's what we need to keep doing. Now, this will stir us up as you look at this in Mark chapter 9, verse 43. Jesus uses another word. It's Gehenna, G-H-E-N-N-A. And it's translated hell. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into Gehenna into the fire that never shall be quenched. Verse 45. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter and halt into life than having two feet to be cast into Gehenna, hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Now the flames will never be quenched They engulf the whole body, how do we know? Eyes in flames, hand in flames, foot in flames. That's the whole body. Now, with this, Jesus is saying, you would be better to lose your eye or your foot or your hand than to burn in hell because you won't stop sinning with your eye, your foot, or your hand. You'd be better to take a chainsaw chop your hand off, that would be painless compared to going to hell because you won't stop stealing. You'd be better to take a metal rod, stick it behind your eyeball, Jesus in essence is saying, and pluck your eye out rather than die and go to hell because you won't stop looking at filthy things. And he is not saying, I want you to go to hell, but he is saying whatever it is that would put you in hell, get rid of it. And he was very serious about it. So if it's pride, Swallow it. If it's your family doesn't understand, love your family, but don't go to hell over it. And he is very urgent with this. Now, I don't believe that he's preaching in a way like some people preach, if thy right eye offend thee, I'll pluck it out if you foot of you're full of cut it off. I think what he's doing is he's pleading. This place is so bad. Whatever it would be that would put you in hell, get rid of it. And we need to plead and plead like Christ pled with the unsaved people. Now, what we get with this word, Gehenna, is again tied to the history of it. Back in the day when King Josiah came along, he said, we're not going to worship Molech, and you know the story of the great king. And King Josiah said, we're going to worship Jehovah. And so when he did that, he desecrated the Tophet, meaning... He turned it into a garbage dump. So nobody would worship that false god there in a garbage dump. But then he also made another decree that they would burn bodies of executed criminals. Now, I don't believe that that's an accident. I think that God is making a statement. They did not burn bodies of people that died of natural causes, people that died from cancer, people that died from some accident, but only bodies of executed criminals. He was desecrating it. He was making it as a horrible place as it could be, as a defiled place as it could be, so that people would never, ever want to go back and do this idol worship again. But with the picture, what's our lesson? If it's a picture of hell, then it means that criminals go there. But then we need to understand then the definition of a criminal. Now, most of us think that there are bad people that if they don't get saved, they're going to go to hell. There are less bad people Well, they still are going to go to hell. But then there are some people that aren't that bad, and we say, are they really going to go to hell? Now, how many of you would agree that you have sinned before? If you have sinned before, would you raise your hand? If you are not raising your hand, all I have to do is ask your roommate, and your roommate will tell me you have sinned before. But now, all of us have sinned, and all of us then are guilty of what? Crimes in God's court. Would we agree? Now, even the people that you look at that are good in the eyes of man, you can lose your burden and not be stirred up to think, well, I really need to go after them and still get them to see. Get their eyes open. Pray that God will open their eyes. I still need to go after those good people in the community because they are also guilty of crimes in God's court. And if we don't understand that these people, even the good people that go to good churches, quote unquote, that say be good to your neighbor and be good to your wife and all of this and take good care of your children, they're teaching good things and they're being good compared to many others. They're still criminals worthy of death by lake of fire. And you and I were worthy of death by lake of fire. Am I right? And so we have been rescued because there was a warrior that did fight the battle. Jonathan Edwards, the pit is prepared. The fire is made ready. The flames do now rage and glow. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you're in. And he did his job. And when he did, that warning led to the salvation experience of many people. Why? He fought the battle. He stirred it up. He spent three days fasting and praying before he ever got behind that pulpit, right? What do you think he was doing? Stirring it up, but also praying for the power of God. So we have to understand that everybody is in need of salvation, and we need to be very, very aware of our job as soldiers for Christ. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never zoom over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Souls for Jesus is our battle cry. We'll fight until we die. We never will give in. While souls are lost in sin, there was a generation. How many do you have in this generation? 608 605,000, and then there were a 1,000 years after that of another generation and another generation and their generation now. Jonathan Edwards had his generation, and you know this, and you're stirred by this constantly, but keep it stirred up in you. This is our turn, and let's do it, and let's keep stirred up to the mission. Now take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. In Revelation 9, we've got two words that are referring to hell, the pit and the abyss. It's during the Revelation count of the tribulation period. And the tribulation period is horrible. But during the tribulation... God opens up the bottomless pit and he vomits up these demonic beasts that have the face of a man, hair like a woman, teeth like a lion, iron chest, tail like a scorpion, and they latch onto people and they sting them, and the pain is the pain of a scorpion's sting. Now look at Revelation chapter 9 and verse 1, two words on the subject of hell, I think. The fifth angel sounded, and when I look at these and I think of them, they stir me up. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless. There's the first word, pit, the second word. Now, the first word, bottomless, is the word abyss, abyss, and it means boundless. And meaning you could go up, you could go down, you could go over, you could go over, but you never get out of it. But translated bottomless is accurate. And it's the idea you would fall, and you would fall, and you would fall, and you would never stop falling. Now, when I was a boy, I used to have a lot of nightmares. One of my nightmares was there was this woman who was a beautiful lady, 26 years old, and I was only 12. And we were madly in love. But anyway, she would meet me for about seven days in a row. I had this dream. And she would meet me the same place. We would meet on top of a roof. I don't know why, but we did. And we would walk around just back and forth on that roof, and we would talk. And it was so wonderful. And then when she would go away, then she would come back in a limousine. And when she pulled pull up in a black limousine, it happened every time, in that dream. She would get out. She'd be walking toward me going like this, and I'd be going like this. And then the driver was a bad guy. He would get out, and he'd open up the trunk, and he'd pull out a shovel, and he'd walk up behind her who was going to hit her on the head. So I'd start running in slow motion saying, no, run. And then he would hit her on the head, and she'd drop to the ground, and she would die. I need a psychiatrist. <laughs> Another nightmare that I had was that I would be walking toward a double car garage door and then all of a sudden, two feet away, sometimes six feet away, sometimes one foot away, a six foot tall white bunny would jump out and grab me. (laughs) And it would wake me up. I had nightmares. But the worst nightmare that I ever had was one that I was falling and falling and falling and falling. Now, if it were a nightmare and you wake up, yeah, you realize it was a nightmare. But how many have ever had that nightmare that you were falling and falling? Okay, now it's a horrible nightmare. Many people have had it, but some people are not ever going to get out of that one. When they go to the everlasting flames, they are 3,200 degrees minimum, up to 13,000 degrees if it is in the center of the earth. On top of that, there are pounding sounds. On top of that, there are screams and screams and screams, and pounds, and other eerie sounds, and who knows what else. But on top of all of that, people fall, and they fall, and they twist, and they never stop as they fall, and the bottomless pit is what it is called. Now, somebody says what's impossible. Let me remind you, anything that God says will happen will happen, and you agree with me, But even logically, if the earth is where the core of the earth is, is hell, it spins around. If people are in hell and it's spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning, it could give the sensation of falling and falling and falling. Now, what comes out of the pit is that locust. Verse 3. There came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was they never hurt any grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have the seal of God in their foreheads. To them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be what? Tormented. So, what's the purpose of these beasts? To torment, to torment, and to torment. Torment who? as many as they can possibly torment and latch on to in the tribulation period. Now, what is their torment? Their torment was as a torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Now, as they latch on, as they sting them, I don't know how it gets in there, some venom, something happens where this horrible burning, and this horrible burning, not just on the outside, but now on the inside, This horrible stinging, ever been stung by a little tiny wasp? How about being stung by a very large demon? How about being stung to the point that as the wasp sting lasts about a few minutes, the torment from the demon sting lasts five months? How about getting stung to the point that it lasts for five months and it's more than one sting and it's perhaps more than one locust? And when we consider that these things are said to come out of the bottomless pit, folks, they have to be there before they can come out of there. And so we are in the Lord's army and we need to stir up the gift. I guarantee you, when you go to Israel and you go up to Masada And you stand there, and the people that are in charge of those armies say to them, never forget, never forget. What don't you forget? Right here on Masada, it was surrounded by our enemies, and it was so bad. They killed so many people in 70 AD. All of our loved ones and relatives and forefathers and ancestors were killed. A few remained here for a while, and because of what happened, they all then went on to death. And all the rest were let off captivity. And you know what those soldiers do? They stand there as their leaders tell them, never, never, never forget. Why? They're stirring up. Don't forget so you don't get complacent. Stir it up. And so what we're doing today is stirring it up. We've got to keep it stirred up. Keep it stirred up. And it's our responsibility to keep our hearts stirred up. God didn't say to Timothy through the Apostle Paul, I'm going to stir you up. No, it was command. Stir it up, Timothy, yourself. Keep it alive. Keep focused on this thing. And that's what I do when I need to get stirred up. Sometimes I'll look at this subject. Now, let's take our Bibles and let's go back to uh, where we started And let's go back to Revelation chapter 20, where we will end. Revelation 20, where we will end. The great white throne judgment for every unsaved person. They stand before and they are judged out of the books to determine the degree of punishment that they'll face in the final hell, the lake of fire. What a horrible thing. The lake of fire. Hmm. Why does it use that name, the lake of fire? Why doesn't it just say in hell? Because hell and the lake of fire are two different places. They're two different places. You may know that already. But notice verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Hell is cast into the lake of fire. That means that hell and the lake of fire are two different places. Now the first hell is bad enough that we don't want anyone to go there, right? That's where you can see, hear, feel, taste, smell. That's where they cried and said, Abraham, just a drink of a tip of water to cool my tongue. That's where... They fall, and they fall, and they burn, the they're pounding sounds. That's where they scream. You say they scream. Where do we have that in the Bible? He cried, and he said, Father Abraham. So, as we have all this to stir us up, nothing else will stir us up by then understanding more that this is forever. This is forever. Now, where will the eternal abode be? It will be in hell. Hell and the lake of fire are different. Hell is the present hell, and this is horrible enough. And then, we also have then, at the judgment, after that judgment, there are degrees of punishment in the final hell, the lake of fire. After thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up to thyself wrath against the day of wrath, And so it will be determining the degree of punishment in the final hell, the lake of fire, Romans 2, 5. And then they're cast into eternal damnation, the lake of fire, where the smoke of the damned ascendeth forever and ever, and they, the damned, have no rest day nor night. Few, last night when I was done preaching, a man came up to me and he said, Do you remember when you were here in 2009? I said, Yes, I do remember being here. And he said, Do you remember that man that was really big that you and I were talking to in the vestibule? I said, I don't really, but tell me about it. Well, he got saved that night. And then he said, After he got saved that night, he was so excited. He was a big Marine got saved, and he just grew like a weed. And then in a year, he got in a terrible automobile wreck and was paralyzed the rest of his life. And he died about six months into that ordeal. But you know what he said to me? Even when he was on that bed where he was paralyzed, and even the six months that he was on that bed paralyzed, he was so happy. And he kept talking about how he knew when he died, where he was going, and he was now at total peace. And it was because he got saved, he got discipled, and when death came, he had no fear. And why? Because he had a soldier get him to church. He had a soldier pastor a church. He had a soldier... Preach a revival meeting in a church. And he had other soldiers who influenced him as well. And because of the army and everybody doing what they can, where they can, wherever they could, that man is at peace in heaven today. Now, years ago, and I close with this, I saw a gospel track. I don't remember the words, but I do remember the picture. The artist drew a long, windy road, and it was a picture of life. And on that road, there were thousands of people walking down the road. And then below the cliff, on both sides was the cliff. The artist drew the flames of hell. At the end, he drew the flames of hell. People were walking down that road. And when they were walking down that road, then some would fall off prematurely before they ever got to the end. And that was a picture of people dying in their 20s. And they would fall into the flames. Then a little further down the road, some would fall off to the left or on the right. And that would be in their 30s or 40s. They would fall and then into the flames. And you could see the pictures of people burning, the anguish on their face, in their hands. You could see the intensity of their pain and suffering. And then at the end, one at a time, they drop off and they go into the flames of hell. Every one of them following their suit some not even knowing the danger they were in. One was smiling. Some were looking like they didn't know where they were going, but just following the crowd. Others looked very lonely and sad, but still walking off into the flames of hell. And I never will forget how I felt as a little boy when I saw that track. I don't remember the words, but I remember wanting to get in that track and stand in front of that cliff and go, Stop! Now, I couldn't do that in that gospel track, but I can do it in real life, and so can we all. We have this mission. We are an army for our generation, and it wasn't just the number of 605,000 that was listed. Though they didn't say everybody's name, it did mention each by their name. Each by name, meaning each one in that army was significant to the point that they were counted and they were part of doing this mission in their generation. So it's our turn, and let's, let's be stirred up and stay stirred up and keep ourselves stirred up for this mission. You've got a job to do. Keep your heart stirred up. Don't get cold. You've got a job to do. Don't let that fire die. Learn, but keep your heart stirred up while you learn it.